Welcome to Everything Nonprofit, a podcast where we reveal the secrets, tips, and tricks for leading a nonprofit. My name is Carmen. And I'm Kayla. As nonprofit founders, we know firsthand how challenging and overwhelming it can be to build a nonprofit from the ground up. This is a podcast for nonprofit executives by nonprofit executives. If you need advice on starting your own nonprofit organization, or looking to expand your knowledge of nonprofit operations, stay tuned. For today's conversation, we have with us Tanya Peck. Tanya is Executive Director at Dress for Success Seattle. She was recruited in the fall of 2019 to come on board as an interim Executive Director to grow the organization capacity to scale for the growing number of women living in poverty in this region. When the pandemic hit in 2020, Tonya was asked to stay on as the executive director, where she led the organization through the crisis while growing, strengthening, and expanding their organization's capacity to serve more women through these challenging times. Tonya's background is a blend of global technology and design and organization development. She has extensive experience growing teams, leaders, and organizations at Fortune 500s like Microsoft, Amazon, and Salesforce. While she has decades of volunteer and board member experience, this was her first nonprofit staff role. Beyond her day job, she's civically active locally and nationally with a strong focus of empowering women, creating inclusive environments, and preparing organizations for the future. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Thank you. And thank you, Carmen and Kayla, for having me. Tanya, I think it was a year ago that I connected with you on LinkedIn. It's crazy how we're finally sitting down to have this chat. (laughs) I'm very excited. At a high level, can you give our listeners a quick snippet about yourself? Absolutely. And I I love that you reminded me that we met through LinkedIn. It's been such a great um, platform for connecting. Uh, Well, I really appreciated your, your intro. I guess I would just say that I consider myself a designer in every way, whether that's designing physical products, digital products, organizations, supporting people in designing their careers, um, making a meal. I just think everything is a design problem. um, And I really enjoy that creative problem solving mindset and approach. Mm, Great. Yeah. You seem to have extensive um, background in quite a few different sectors before landing in your role at Dress for (laughs) Success. Um, So where did your nonprofit journey begin? Uh, Thank you for asking. Actually, this is my very first staff role, meaning paid um, employment role on a nonprofit uh, at a nonprofit organization. But I have been working with nonprofits for three decades as a volunteer, um, as a donor, as a board member. And um, I didn't realize how much I did not know about the real, real of nonprofits until I was on staff. It's, it's very different. It's kind of like that moment on the Wizard of Oz where the curtain draws back and you find out like all the, the, the ribbons and rubber bands that are holding everything together. And you think, I can't believe they're making all of these things happen with just a couple of strings and rubber bands. Um, so yeah, I've only been on staff for almost three years, but I've been working with nonprofits for 30 years. Wow, that's a long time. And it's inspiring to hear about your path to being at your current position right now that you didn't start out in the nonprofit sector, and now you're working in the staff role at Dress for Success. If you were to think back to when you began your term in 2019 to until now, 
What would you say has been the biggest takeaway to leading it? Probably building on what I shared, I, the, the work that I've been doing in the nonprofit pro bono space for the last three decades has been in service to women in transition. And that, you know, has ranged in the way in which I've been involved. Transitions could be transitions out of um, unstable housing into stable housing, transition out of being a full-time mom and getting into the workforce or back into the workforce. Uh, it could be, you know, coming out of incarceration. So some sort of transition, including switching fields. You know, I'm working in this field and now I want to work in that field. How do you support someone to uh, transfer those skills and secure a job in a new field? The thing that has been so surprising is, is what I mentioned earlier, is that I was even a volunteer at Dress for Success before being on staff. And yet there is so much that you just you just don't know about the inner workings of just the challenges of running a small but mighty organization in service, in, in this case, in service to, to women's equity, which is already um, has a pretty significant disparity. Uh, and that was pre-pandemic. So I would say just recognizing that as someone whose day job has been in the corporate world, that a nonprofit is still an organization and we need to provide the same investment and rigor and support of a nonprofit as we do in uh, for-profit businesses. The difference is we are a cause-based organization, but we are still an organization. And I think sometimes there's there's some disconnects and misunderstandings of what it means to be a nonprofit. You've mentioned a couple of times now, like the, the complicated organizational structure of a nonprofit and just how much goes into it. And part of our, our purpose in having this podcast is to help individuals who either aspire to be a nonprofit executive or work for a nonprofit executive or start their own nonprofit, understand what it to get one up and running. If you could give some advice as to you're going to do something like that, here's what you might want to think about to help you be more successful. You know, not knowing who your audience is, but knowing I'm talking to, to two professional women, what comes up for me is that the nonprofit career, so let's just call it that, the nonprofit career, and I don't have facts and figures in front of me, so I'm going to make some gross generalizations here, but based on my own observable data, nonprofits attract a lot of female talent, meaning whether as volunteers or as paid staffers, nonprofits tend to attract a lot of women. And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons. So again, I'm, I want to fully own, this is, you know, Tanya's opinion, N of one, from my observable experiences, but it does attract a lot of women. And I think that's partly because women are, you know, in general, social impact minded. Like we think about like, how are our friends, our neighbors, how are we caretaking? Even if we aren't um, mothers of children, we are still, can be sisterly and motherly. And so I think nonprofits attract a lot of women. And I think inherent in that, given that we are a specifically are an organization in service of supporting more women achieving economic independence, like why is it so many women are underpaid, 
underemployed, maybe working multiple employment, but still um, uh, living in poverty because they are not paid well or they're not in a career that has a profile, meaning one where there's growth and opportunity. And I think herein lies one of the challenges of like, we have a lot of women who they can do this because there's a significant, you know, they can be volunteers or they can even be a staff member of a nonprofit because there's maybe a significant other who's bringing in income to the house. And why is that? Like why, why, why I was the primary income earner in my household until I took a nonprofit job and, um, and took a 70% pay cut because I didn't think that what I was doing in my volunteer work was having enough impact. So I wanted to be on the inside. And yet at the same time, like, why, like, why, you know, do I have to take a pay cut? Why, when I came on board, why is it that our mission is to support women achieving economic independence, but we had some women on our staff that were being paid below the poverty level for Seattle. And it was one of the first things I did was a comp analysis. And of course, at first people want to say, oh, well, you're used to working at corporations. I'm like, no, I did a comp analysis with seven resources um, uh, that, that corporations use and nonprofits use. And I did put in all the, the things of like, it is a nonprofit, the types of roles, the responsibilities, the kind of experience required, but also the region. And I'm going to highlight the region. And I raised right away to our board that this is unacceptable. Like this is incongruent. And so I started talking to other dress affiliates because, you know, we're a global organization and I got a lot of like, oh yeah, oh, that's so cute that you wanna get on a soapbox. Yeah, no, most of our staff are only volunteers or yes, we're underpaid. And fortunately I've got, you know, fill in the blank, significant other helping to pay my bills. Apologies, I have a dog here. That's the 21st century here. And so I bring that up to say that these things are all intertwined and it's very complicated of how do you unpack this? But I think that there's an inherent accepted mindset that it's attracting people who want to do good. And so I don't have to get paid well to do good. Really? So, oh, you don't have bills? Like you don't need healthcare? You don't need to maybe put a child through college? Really? Like, okay. I disagree. Now, maybe the, the salaries aren't going to be the same as you know, working at, um, at Microsoft and yet at the same time, like, well, why not? Like, why can't a mid-career program manager at our company make at least somewhere, you know, even if it's the lower half of the range, but the same range that a similar years in career and talented program manager at Microsoft makes, like, I mean, yes, we can talk about how Microsoft makes money and we are spending money to be in service, but then so then give us the money to pay legitimately to then be in service, which for us is how can we get more women out of poverty and into economically viable futures, right? So again, super long, complicated answer, but herein lies a lot that people just accept. Oh, but I'm doing good work, accept. Mm -hmm. Well, then are we even attracting the right talent? Because we're only attracting the talent of those that can accept being underpaid, and overworked, getting benefits from a, a significant other or not having benefits. And I'm talking about medical dental vision. Yeah, that's unacceptable to me. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much for unpacking it like that for us and for our listeners. Something we hear repeatedly from nonprofit sources is resources is a problem, whether it's people or money specifically. 
Um, it's just, it's something to be very aware of. And you just gave us a really deep, insightful view into how it's not just about you know, money or resources in and of itself, but it's really, it's very, it's very complicated. And there's a spider web of problems that kind of, kind of contributes to this issue. And if I could just build on what you brought up, Kayla, is that herein lies where a business is a business is a business, whether you are a for cause, you, your, your business is for a cause. So in this case, how can we help unemployed and underemployed women have an, you know, be financially independent or you're, you know, just trying to sell more widgets to make more money. You're still a business and there is a formula there's expenses and, and some of those expenses are, you know, wage and occupancy and all that, um, as well as the expenses of producing, you know, whatever it is you're producing. It's still the same formula. A P&L is a P&L. And so one of the things that, that I've really been stressing with our community of from volunteers and champions to board members, to staff members and grantors, especially, is that the formula right now for nonprofits is broken. And so while I am increasing the money in, so I've been growing our, you know, the revenue that we can generate in, in service to growing and expanding our programs to serve our mission. But as part of doing that, one of the places where I've had the biggest increase, I've continued to run very lean and very frugal, but I have regularly um, continued to bump the compensation while keeping any other expenses down that I can, including, you know, we lost our lease during this and I still was able to find a new lease within the monies that I said we had to stay in, even though everyone said, oh, that's never going to be possible in Seattle. I'm like, it is possible. We're going to make it happen because I'm not going to spend more on occupancy. I need to put that towards employment um, and, you know, uh, wages and benefits. So it is feasible and it's still the same formula. You may be working with less money, but the formula of a business is, you know, the PL formula is still, <laughs> it's still the same formula. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you're just showing there your creative problem solving and you've spoken to it a couple of times. Like, you know, you like to get in there and solve problems and be creative and you're clearly showing it there. Are there, besides your, your brain, <laughs> are there any resources that you're utilizing or you could point others to that help you get through these day-to-day -day challenges in running a nonprofit? Absolutely. I mean, I, the very first one that comes to mind are other friends and colleagues. So I have a great network of other executive directors. I, I just rolled off a call with, a, with another one who runs a school and, you know, I mean, her, she runs a school, which is really challenging through a pandemic. I'm running a social services organization. I mean, you know, we could really empathize and it really helps refill our cup. Uh, um, but then also other conversations with my fellow ED um, network might be, how are you doing this? How are you doing that? Like what I find in having a really strong network of other executive directors and CEOs is that we all understand each other's problems and we all come to the table with different successes and different failures, but also different talents. And so I might tap um, someone that I know is an amazing fundraiser. And while I'm talking to her about, you know, how are you doing this, especially during the pandemic, she's asking me, wow, but you're doing such an amazing job on grants and the programs that you've been able to add. 
And so how are you going about that and how are you making that happen? So that's first and foremost are my other fellow ED uh, across the, the I, they're mostly US and Canada. I have a couple in Europe, which becomes a little harder with time zone, but that has been my number one resource. I would say the second then is, of course, the community around us, our team, our board, our volunteers, and even our sister clients. I mean, it's a give get, right? Like we're all in this together. So that's definitely been a great resource. Um, but the the third one that I really want to highlight that's been an incredible resource, there's kind of two halves of it. There's our program partners, so other people who have programs that we can tap into for our sister clients. So this would be like Microsoft, Google, Accenture, General Assembly, Ama La Vida. Like I'm sure I'm forgetting some really as well as other dress for success affiliates. You know, I'll see what someone's doing in Twin Cities or San Francisco and be like, oh, could we also recruit our ladies to join you? Um, because so many of our programs are online, which comes to when you ask me what resources, I would say this is here and lies where the, the biggest resource is. The majority of the money that I've been going out and those who are helping us in fundraising, you know, board members, teammates, um, and other volunteers, is we have increased uh, growing our, the number of, uh, laptops and software and hardware that we are able to give to a woman and not just give to her, but give her a setup experience where she really gets set up and makes it her own with her own ID safely and securely, because the challenge that we're facing is we're all using all of these technologies for even having this podcast, but it is, we probably already had all of these technologies even before the pandemic. What the pandemic surfaced is that even in this tech rich region in the Pacific Northwest, 40% of the women we serve are not connected. So if they're not connected, how are we recruiting them? How are we saying, oh, we have a laptop program. We have a financial literacy program. We have a, we have a Salesforce administration certification that an entry-level job, if you go through that certification, is $65,000. That actually is a livable wage in Seattle. But how do they know about that if they're, they don't have at least a smartphone, let alone also internet access and, and a laptop to participate in these networking and learning experiences, as well as then just the application process to get into the programs or to get into, um, you know, the jobs that they're applying to. So we're further, you know, women get, are, are getting even left further behind in this era if they are not digitally connected. And so we are still having to be out and about and connect with people face to face. So I know I gave you some, some pretty big ones there, but it's really both people are my biggest resources, but then technology, but then there becomes this barrier to entry because technology is only a resource if you have it. Without it, it is a huge deficit to not have it. Definitely. I totally agree with what you said about tapping into your network. There's so many friends and maybe weak ties instances that you have met from so long ago i feel like they can also be of great help i just want to thank you for sharing everything your knowledge and information and for tanya what kind of legacy do you want to leave as a nonprofit executive director that's a big question i want to leave this organization ready for the next ed to apply her time and talent and creative problem solving experience to take it to the next level. So for me, you know, my legacy at Dress for Success Seattle is 
already, you know, well underway and yet will never fully reach what I want. Like no matter how many things I've ripped, replaced, remodeled, rebuilt from our banking to our general ledger, to our fundraising, to the programs and services that we've grown to serve more sister clients year over year, uh, no matter how much I can feel really proud of that I have put in place here and I'm, you know, leaving things even better than I found it. And, and, you know, and I was getting to step on the shoulders of the previous giants. There's still, I'm going to leave and still go, Oh, if only this one more thing and this one more thing. Um, but I also believe that I'm leaving a legacy that the, the, that the next set of leaders um, and leadership will take forward and build upon it. So in that sense, that feels really good. And I have to just, you know, <laughs> tell myself that that is good enough and, um, and then continue to be an ongoing champion for, for dress and for women's equality. Yeah. And even hearing you talk about that, I think it, it also harkens back to your original point of nonprofits seem to really draw in a female support system. Just hearing you talk about you want it to grow, you want to nurture it and just help it blossom into something great. And it's really, it's really inspiring to hear you talk about that. So thank you very much for sharing with us a little bit more about you personally and your journey and your entrepreneurial spirit. It's been really great. I feel like we could talk to you all day and maybe we're going to have to have you on again. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers. Puget Sound Project Management Volunteers helps impactful non-for-profit organizations achieve their objectives by connecting them with skillful project managers who can aid them in crystallizing their visions, leading project teams, and deconstructing their goals into achievable milestones. This service is absolutely free and can help your nonprofit organization get the extra help it needs so that you can spend more time making a difference in the world and less time on administration. Visit pm-volunteers.org to request the assistance of a project manager 100% free of charge. No gimmicks, no catches, just one nonprofit helping another. We are going to switch a little bit more to focus on the organization itself. You already, I think you mentioned high level, the mission of Dress for Success, but can you expand a little bit more upon the the mission and the vision and what it really does? Yeah. And hopefully my dog will play along too. (laughs) Our vision overall globally, this is for Dress for Success worldwide, um, that we all share the vision of a world in which no woman lives in poverty. And, and the thing that's that's so powerful, if, if, if you really reflect on what that means, is it's really not about just women. When, when a woman is lifted out of poverty, when she perseveres and also, you know, the community around her supports her out of poverty, that also lifts many others out of poverty. So our mission is we are here to support women achieving economic independence. And that is through a series of development tools and support tools and a, and a network, you know, a career war- wardrobe, unlimited career coaching, the skills and tools to be successful in an economically viable career. And to do that, you know, when a, when a woman is lifted out of poverty, 
it also lifts many others around her out of poverty, including children. And, and that starts to break the systemic issue of intergenerational poverty. So that, you know, broad stroke, the vision is a woman, no woman lives in poverty, but really that has a systemic impact that really no, no children are living in poverty, no families are living in poverty. That's very empowering. I know the pandemic has brought a lot of toll on organizations, especially nonprofits. Dress for Success Seattle has really grasped onto this opportunity to offer virtual workshops and virtual tours, even during the holiday season. Can you dive a little deeper into how the organization has pivoted during this time? Absolutely. Yeah, fortunately, yeah, one of our male allies, my, my husband is our uh, we call him our free TO, our free chief technology officer. He and I were already working on growing what I would call the back office, right? Like growing our digital security, our file management, our, our document creation and sharing, and, you know, just all those things that, you know, oftentimes you take for granted. So we were already moving and migrating to Office 365 before the pandemic hit. And we weren't completely done, but it, we were really fortunate that we had a head start in a way that some of my peers at other nonprofits, including other uh, dress affiliates, weren't there because we were already underway of starting to offer more programs and services virtually. So whether that's one-on-one -on -one career coaching or some of our cohort programs, as well as how even just the organization was operating so that the moment we hit lockdown in you know March of 2020 which it, it it you know it started here in our own backyard here you know across the water in Kirkland our staff was already we we never actually literally closed i mean our front door might have been locked down but we were already able to continue to collaborate and work because we were fully set up on microsoft 365 and and working in teams and you know had a, a pretty robust system already underway and we could continue to flesh that out while bringing our volunteers online so we got our career coaches all with dress ids and microsoft ids and so we started to expand our coaching program through teams. And of course, recognizing pretty quickly that um, even though we were already starting to do the, the laptop setup experience, um, we needed to hustle to do more of that, including in the early days, we, we were even managing distributing hotspots and um, subscriptions for internet access. And so we hustled to grow that capacity of how could we get more women connected, keeping them connected, so that in that connection, they could now find jobs that could now be remote because all the any woman in a service-based job lost her job immediately. So we could support women in finding what jobs were now available remote. For jobs that got converted to remote, they now had the means, you know, we were hustling to give them the, the tools to be able to say, oh, I can do that. Um, we also were supporting women in even just that transition of that skill set. Um, because anyone who had kids, now all of a sudden your kids were at home and, you know, did you have enough internet bandwidth for you to be online doing something to get a job or keep your job while your kid was also doing their schooling online? Did you have enough machines? Like, did you have enough laptops and, and whatnot for everyone to be plugged in when they needed to? So there was a lot of skill building, like, you know, just real time ad adapting to, you know, how do we support a woman to be connected, stay connected, grow in their connection. And then of course we continued to grow and expand our programs, especially our cohort program around financial education and, and being able to grow an emergency savings fund around digital education. And how do you 
get on a Teams call versus a Google call versus a Zoom call? What are the etiquettes? What are the norms? There's a whole lot of cultural unspoken norms that if you haven't been working in that space, you just, you don't know what you don't know. And then a lot of our women aren't in safe or stable situations. So then how do you join a virtual call? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole level of complication there. So yeah, so we did what we could to grow, grow our programs and, and do things, uh, you know, curbside as it related to career wardrobe, obviously for setting up on a computer, we still had to bring people in. So we, you know, masks and sanitizers and, and distancing, but we still had to take our chances. I mean, our staff all got vaccinated as soon as they could and then boosted as soon as they could. And we just continued to do what we could to be in service as much as possible. And of course, again, you know, there's still so much more that we want to do and want to be out there um, in reaching women. Yeah. You talk a lot about expanding your programs, expanding your offerings, reaching more women who who desperately need your services. And at the same time, we've noted that Dress for Success Seattle has some pretty impressive statistics as far as volunteers that you guys get in the door as well. I've seen over 200 volunteers and 125 referral partners across the Pacific Northwest. I mean, that's very impressive. So how are you guys driving traction for that? You know, I appreciate you saying that. I, I would say there's there's kind of two sides to that because I appreciate that it sounds impressive and I'm definitely gonna share that with my staff that you, you, you so graciously gave us that compliment. But I will tell you, it's been really, really hard. In fact, we just had a call with, with our new CEO of, dress worldwide and she's doing these regional calls and so it was all the other dresses that are in sort of uh this relative time zone um and so let's just say there were 10 affiliates on this call and one of the things that we all aligned on were was actually this topic was how hard it is right now for us to retain or add both volunteers and referral partners. So so let's just look at those numbers and what's behind those numbers. So we do have over 125 referral partners. They have had a huge turnover. And the thing about having a referral partner, and I don't want to name names, but um, let's just say, you know, referral partner X. Well, if they have a high turnover, our referral partnership with them is not really with the agency as much as the people we're specifically working with. It's a very people relationship oriented service, right? And so when folks in those roles that are our referral partners move on, they may not say, oh, you should make sure, um, let me intro you to Tanya and her team before I take off, or even here's their address, or or even to know, hey, dress up the street offers this, this, and this. Don't forget you can send them to there. So we have to do, we are constantly, constantly, constantly re-onboarding our referral partners, which is really hard because of those 125, we might have anywhere from one to five relationships at each of those. And right now I would say the majority of referral partners sending sister clients to us for programs that we're recruiting for or, or programs that are just open all the time. They're not ones that necessarily have like, you know, time bound elements. I would say out of those 125, there's probably a dozen that are regularly sending us folks. And it's not that the others don't need our services, but they've had a changeover of people or 
they were an organization that wasn't already in the 21st century of being fully integrated in you know the cloud experience of running an organization and so their employees when they're working at home don't have the whole you know microsoft 365 setup and aren't able to engage in the same sort of way so so there's just sort of a a lot of mud has been added to the system to get this person to this person to get a person to us. There's just a lot of mud to get through to get there. On the volunteer side, different but similar. So many of our volunteers, we had a combination of those that you know maybe volunteered once or twice and never again because they did something like maybe with a team their team came in and they did a you know team effort community service day and then others who were coming in regularly like when i was a volunteer um before coming on staff you know i had a regular schedule i was a, a career coach volunteer and i worked you know the same two hours every other tuesday you know ongoing some volunteers volunteer that way some volunteers Every once in a while, they'll say they're available, but it's, you know, it's a wide variety of a couple of hours once in a while to um, a bunch of hours on a recurring schedule. Well, when we moved everything online, we could only engage those volunteers who could do the things that we needed virtually. So career coaches who were willing to meet virtually. Some of our career coaches said, that's beautiful and lovely. I, I don't, I can't work in that way. I'm not comfortable working in that way, whatever the various reasons are. So we had to do a whole lot of recruiting of new career coaches, including some career coaches that now, as we start to open up doing them in person again, they're not going to want to come in person. That's why they're now a career coach because they live hours away or they don't have the bandwidth to drive in to do them or bus in or, or train in. Um, so we've had to constantly be re-recruiting um, volunteers and then for the things that are in person, there's very few things. So much of what we've done is to adapt into this, where we are now and where we're going um, in, an, in the endemic world. And some of those in-person needs are not ever going to be the same, which means some of those volunteers, you know, it's hard for them because they're, they're missing wanting to come in and we just don't need as much of that in-person volunteer support. But that's the way in which some volunteers, that's the only way in which they can volunteer. So it's been a lot of constant recruiting of not just the sister clients for the program, but our referral partners and our volunteers. And I would say our biggest source of volunteers are actually other organizations that come also with their community of volunteers. So like Financial Beginnings, we do a lot of work with them and they, they get the volunteers who teach those financial education class or Capital One. When we do that pro, those programs with them, Capital One is getting their staff to be the, the volunteers. And so that's why we have such an enormous volunteer community is one, we're constantly tilling the soil. <laughs> And we are constantly building partnerships that come with communities of people that want to participate. So it's, it's a huge ultra marathon, constant muscle building behind those numbers that you shared. And I am really proud of my team and our community of what we've made happen, but it is exhausting. Yeah. It sounds like a, a very huge challenge and a big effort from your end. And for our listeners who are interested to contribute to this impactful organization, what are some of the ways that they can help support? First, I will say every there is a way for everyone to support, meaning 
of course, I would love to say money, 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 of course, but it's really, you know, it comes down to time, talent, and treasure and treasure. Isn't just writing a check treasure might also be introducing us to a program partner or to somebody else who might be able to make a sponsorship of, of, you know, a significant donation. So of course money, unrestricted money for us to continue to invest, invest, invest in growing and expanding our programs. But then also talent, the, the, the community of professionals, of range of skills and talents that they bring to the table that they might not even realize is a talent that they could provide, whether it's as a, a coach or as a mentor or teaching a class on how do you show up on a Zoom call? How do you do that professionally? How do you switch careers? Have you switched careers before? What was hard about switching careers? So leveraging the talent and people having an opportunity to give their time in that sort of way of you know, sharing their talent with our community um, or specifically with our organization. Maybe it's not sister client facing, but it's a talent that they could bring in helping us with marketing or fundraising or you know, fill in the blank. Again, we are a real business, running a real business. <laughs> And then of course, time and time could be volunteering. It could be making introductions. It could be teaching a class or coaching, or it really could be following us. Like the biggest thing that, you know, I would wish is that anyone listening here walks away and follows us on at least one social media platform, if not all of them. So whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, follow us because when you follow us, it adds to the engagement because then you, you know, you might start by liking something, but then maybe you add a comment and your comment gets picked up by your network who then says, what, what is Carmen commenting on? Oh, wait, let me check that out. And then you share it, share it gets the most amplification that exponentially helps grow things for us in terms of attracting other time, talent, treasure, or even other sister clients in need of our services. That is probably the biggest and the, the, the most um, accessible and free thing someone could do for us is to like, share, comment across one or all of our social media platforms. That algorithm, yeah, is really, really powerful. So, so what are all your social media platforms and what's your handle? How can people follow you? And um, Instagram, it's at DFS underscore Seattle. So we're dressed for success Seattle. So there's always going to be some variation of that. So at DFS underscore Seattle for Twitter, it's also at DFS underscore Seattle. And then for LinkedIn, you know, you have your backslash and it's dress dash four dash success dash Seattle. And all of them should be even searchable. So where that gets complicated is we have 144 affiliates in 23 countries. So if you just put dress for success, you will get a uh, pretty long list of search results. But mm -hmm. if you do get in dress for success, Seattle, I'm confident mm -hmm. people would find it even if they didn't have our, our correct handle. Great. Well, we will put those in the show notes anyway, just so that people have them. Thank um, you. And is there anything else that we didn't ask you about you or about Dress for Success Seattle that you want to share? Thank you. And yes. And I, I want to say this in an inspiring way, but it is a tough love message. Next time you know, you see something, whether it's something you're seeing at um, a nonprofit or let's use the word charity, something that you're seeing at a charity 
or you're seeing someone that you believe is in need of charity, I would ask you to just hold or be aware in that moment what judgments you might have of what you think they are or are not doing and why are they not doing this and not doing that. The fact is we are all doing the best we can. And sometimes I think that is really hard for people to retain. And, and it's sometimes really hard for us that sometimes some of the most challenging experiences running this organization, they're not the heart-wrenching sister client situations because we expect those. Like they're, you know, women who are facing a lot of trauma and, and a lot of hardship and are working really hard, like we expect that. I think the part that gets really hard is when those that believe they are champions of ours, volunteers, donors, amplifiers, don't necessarily know the real real and say and do things that are coming from a place of just unconscious bias and judgment. And those are sometimes the hardest days for the staff and me. Yes, I would just say, just keep that in mind that everybody is doing the best they can. And if we don't call you back as fast as you want, or we don't want to take your clothing donations because that's not what we need right now, it's not an insult on you. It's not what we need to deliver on our mission right now. And when you see someone that's looking down and out and you're questioning what they have or haven't done to land there, just remember, no one wants to live like that. No one wants to live on the street without secure housing without regular meals. So just remember that they're doing the best they can. And it is the best one can is sometimes still really hard and still doesn't allow them to live in a stable home and have a regular meal and a full refrigerator. So that's, that's what I guess I would offer in the most positive and intentionally inspiring way <laughs> as I can. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. I mean, cultivating empathy, I think is something that we can all work on. And we, I think we tend to see the universe through our own lens, you know, of, I would do this. So why didn't you do this? And yeah. I, I definitely hear you there and it's good. We, we like the tough love that you have to offer. It's very inspiring, very full of wisdom. So thank you. Well, gosh, thank you so much, Tanya, for being with us today and for dropping all those wonderful nuggets of wisdom for our listeners. Um, we're really excited to see what's next for you and for Dress for Success Seattle. And we really hope that more women can be elevated and uplifted by your services. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kayla and Carmen. You were both so thoughtful in your questions and your curiosity. And I really, really appreciate that this is important to you and was interesting enough to spend the time to have this conversation. So thank you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Everything Nonprofit. If you don't already, please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, and share this episode with your friends. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm -hmm.